invite you to take your Bibles and open to Psalm 111. Psalm 111, we're going to look this morning at the Psalm of Thanksgiving and Praise as we conclude this time of the year of Thanksgiving. Of course, it doesn't end necessarily and shouldn't end. We should be thankful people. But before we jump into the holiday season, full bore, uh, the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at the four songs in the Gospel of Luke. So in Luke 1 and Luke 2, there are four songs or psalms or poems. You have Mary's Magnificat, you have Zechariah's uh, prophecy song, and then you have the angels who sing a song, and then you have Simeon in the temple after the birth of Jesus who sings a song. And so we're going to look at those four songs over the next four weeks uh, in the month of December. But we're not there yet. I know some of you probably have your Christmas trees up. We do. Guilty. But uh, before we jump into the Christmas season, let's give thanks and reflect uh, one more time uh, together, giving thanks to God. So if you find your way to Psalm 111, uh, it's page 509 if you're uh, using a pew Bible, and uh, we will read our passage. We'll pray, then read our passage together. Father, thank you for what we've just sung, Lord. Only a holy God, Lord, you are a God who is wholly unlike us, and that is a good thing. Lord, we would love someone in our own image, in our own likeness, Lord, who likes what we like and dislikes what we dislike, and that is not you. Lord, you are a holy, perfect, just God who is above that. But yet you invite us, Lord, to, to be like you, and we can only do that through Jesus. Lord, help us this morning as we come to your word, as we reflect on who you are and what you've done, that it would continue to motivate us to give thanks as we revel in your wondrous works, in your promises, and what you've done for us in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Psalm 111, 111. Follow along as I read. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works and giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Psalm 111 is a song. The Psalms are songs. They're, they're poetry. And this Psalm is actually a specific type of poem. You might understand it and see it better, obviously not in the Hebrew, but in the English. And you've probably done this when you were a child. Um, maybe this is the extent of all of your poetry skill. You take your first name and you write it down vertical, and then from it, with each letter, you write something to describe yourself. So, Greg, great, right? Rad, excellent, really great, you know? 
you know, what you do in elementary school. You do that for mom or dad or, you know, your crush sitting across the schoolroom. It's an acrostic. And that framework gives you a structure to describe the person you're describing. You take the person's name, you write it vertical, and from it you describe the attributes and character of that person using the letters of their name. This, in a sense, is what the psalmist is doing in Psalm 111. Now, you look at it and you say, how? I don't see that. (laughs) But in the Hebrew, in the original language, the psalmist is using all the letters of the alphabet in order to write this poem. So the Hebrew alphabet, I'm not going to go through it. I remember most of it. Uh, To be put on the spot to go through it all would be hard. But each stanza begins with a succeeding letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Isn't that kind of neat? So the psalmist is using the alphabet as a structure, a form to write out the character and the blessings and the praise that belongs to God. He's using this structure, this poem, to give honor to God, to draw the reader's attention, the singer's attention, to who God is and what he's done. It's a part of this series of psalms in this section of of the hymn book that is giving praise to God for what he's done and for who he is. And here, it's simple. The very first phrase is praise the Lord, and the very last phrase is his praise endures forever. It's a psalm of praise, specifically about how God has shown himself faithful, how God has shown his character through his works. So as we come to this psalm, and as we are in this Thanksgiving time of year, Our big idea is this from Psalm 111. The righteous will praise the Lord as they revel in his wondrous works and his sure promises. The righteous. So the righteous here is a specific group of people. Those who fear the Lord, who follow him. Believers, we would say. Of course, we understand in the context of Psalm 111 is that it's the nation of Israel as they are gathered together. But the righteous, the followers of God, will praise the Lord as they revel, right? You know what it means to revel? It means to rejoice in, to gloat in, uh, to keep talking about, to revel in his works and his promises. And as we look at Psalm 111, there's three uh, recurring themes here in the psalm. And they're bracketed. So you see verses 1 and then verse 10 being similar. And then verses Two and three and verses seven, eight, and nine being similar, and then verses four, five, and six all being similar to these various ideas and themes. So we're going to walk through this here looking at this, but seeing how the righteous will praise the Lord as they revel in his wondrous works and his sure promises. So first off, we see that as the righteous praise the Lord, praising God results in the righteous living of his people. Praising God results in the righteous living of his people. The psalmist starts, praise the Lord. Give praise, honor, glory. It's what we think when we hear the term praise. Praise the Lord. The psalmist says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. So it's individual. The psalmist says, I will give thanks to the Lord, to Jehovah, his his covenant name there. It's, It's probably communicated that way in your Bible with all caps, right? I will give thanks to Yahweh, Jehovah, with my whole heart. This idea of whole hearts In Hebrew poetry, the idea of heart is the entirety of the individual. With all 
that I am, with all that I do, with the entirety of my life. Yes, I will praise God on Sunday mornings when I'm worshiping with other believers. But I also praise God when I'm riding on my lawnmower on Saturday afternoon. And yes, I said lawnmower on purpose, based on what it looks like outside right now, right? <laughs> yes, I will praise God when it's the doldrums Tuesday morning at work or in the middle of the night when you can't sleep. The idea of my whole heart is the entirety of my life. The psalmist says, I will give thanks to God. God deserves my praise and my thanksgiving with my entire life, every aspect, every aspect, not only what I think, what I say, what I do, but every part of my life at every time. So there's that individual aspect, but there's also the fact that praise is to be done together with other believers. The second half of verse one, in the company of the upright, in the congregation. So the psalmist is saying, I myself will give thanks to God with my whole heart, wherever I'm at, whatever I'm doing. But particularly, I will do that with other believers. He says, I will give thanks with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation, in the company of the upright, our fellow brothers and sisters, fellow believers, fellow, uh, fellow people who fear the Lord, who follow him. Now it's fun it's enjoyable to worship the Lord as you're driving in your car and you're singing at the top of your lungs to whatever's on the radio, right? Or if you have a favorite CD or whatever favorite song, whatever it is. Maybe it's not fun to you, but, you know, I love to sing in the car by myself. Right? It's great. And we can have times of worship with just ourselves. You know, when you're uh, uh, alone with God, praying, reading, that that's appropriate. But it's, it's not just that. It should be more than that. The actual idea of worship is much more communal, doing it together. And here he says, in the company of the upright in the congregation, as we give thanks to God, we will be moved to do that with other people. We will be encouraged. We will find joy in worshiping God with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, this past weekend, was a great weekend if you love college football. There were some great games on, some exciting finishes. Uh, it, was, it was fun to watch the game. If, if you want to watch the game and, and actually see everything that happens, by all means, stay home and watch the game on TV. You can't beat it, right? It's, it, you can watch five different games at once. But for those of you who enjoy sporting events, there is something about going to the event, being there, say you go to Kinnick Stadium, with 70,000 other people. There's something about that atmosphere of being together with other fans of your team and enjoying that. It's enjoyable to worship God when you have time on your own in private, but it is great to worship God with fellow believers, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, that's how we were designed. That's how it will be like for eternity is we'll be worshiping with others, with other people, doing it together. Praising God results in the righteous living of his people. First of all, together, right? We want to worship God with other believers. If you say you love Jesus and want to worship God and you don't go and gather with other believers, the question is, do you truly know Jesus? 
It's not that everyone's going to be your best friend or you're going to like how everything's done and all that, but you're going to understand and have the need to be part of a community that worships together. Worshiping together. I think COVID taught us that. And it sifted through those who just, you know, wanted the Christianite or Christianese light thing and those who were committed to the body. We are designed to worship together in the congregation, in the company of the upright. Praising God results in the righteous living of his people together. You see that in the company of the upright, that's a moral qualification. Those who are upstanding, those who are clean, you could say, who are good. And we see this repeated again in verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This idea is repeated throughout the Proverbs. Fearing God, honoring God, respecting God, seeing who God is and seeing who you are, understanding that difference is the beginning of wisdom. We walked through wisdom recently in the book of Proverbs with Kurt in Sunday school. It's knowledge applied. It's, it's seeking how to live God's way in the world around us. The first way is to recognize who God is and we, who we are. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all those who practice it have a good understanding. We see here that praising God results in righteous living together. The company of the upright, those who fear the Lord, those who practice it. Those who practice it. There's an idea that the psalmist is getting at here is that those who fear the Lord and who praise him will demonstrate it by how they live. Those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. As we revel in the works of God and his promises, praising God for those things, it results in the righteous living of his people together. We do that as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, as believers. And we do it in a way that is demonstrated through our righteous living by practicing the fear of the Lord in the company of the upright together. Praise is more than an individual act. And it's more than only a vocal activity. It leads to action. Praise the Lord with fellow believers and let it push you to fearing the Lord and living for Him. A life of praise leads to a life lived according to the fear of God, practicing that. Does your life demonstrate that? Does it show that? Secondly, praising God focuses on his character displayed in his works and his words. His works and his words. Chapter, or excuse me, verses two and three say, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. And then verses 7 through 9 say, The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. So we see this, this contrast here with his works and his words. And these ideas communicate two categories of what God does and how he reveals himself. We've all heard the term revelation. Obviously, there's the final book in the Bible, Revelation. But the idea of revelation is God revealing himself. How do we know about God? How do we know about God? Well, God reveals himself to us. How does he do that? Well, he does it through his creation, 
right? Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiworks. So creation demonstrates that there's a God. You look at creation, you look how things work together, you look at the intricacies of life and nature, there's a God. And even the, the innate conscience, the innate sense of right and wrong in human beings, demonstrating the conscience that God has placed in us. This is called general revelation. Everyone can see this. God's works that all can see. But then there's a category of special revelation, of when God clearly and distinctly works and communicates. And what is God's special revelation? Well, we have Jesus himself, who has come and revealed God, but we also have his word, his special, clear, direct communication to us as human individuals, his special revelation. So you have general and special, and we have that seen here. Verse 2, great are the works of the Lord. Great are the things that God has done. But we see how we know that they are great, studied by all who delight in them. And those of you who have an aversion to school, you groan inwardly, right? Studying? Ugh, no thank you. No thank you. <laughs> I don't want to study. Now, some of you are weird a little bit like me, and you enjoy studying certain things. But we all like to study. We like to study things that we like right? We like to study things that we like. Now, some of us have to study things and know things for our job, for our occupation, but things that we enjoy, we can easily spend many moments, many hours studying, understanding, seeking to know better. And here, the psalmist says, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in in them. As we focus our praise on God, we do this by studying the works of God. And how do we know the works of God? Through his word. And as we study his word more and we see how great his works are, we come to delight in them again and again, more and more. Full of splendor and majesty is his works, says verse 3, and his righteousness endures forever. So his work is full of splendor and majesty. God is not a boring God. He's not a boring God. Look at, look at creation, right? Look at the things around us in our world. God is not a boring God. God could have made all food taste the same, right? He could have, but he didn't. He did not. So you have turkey, and you have pumpkin pie, and pecan pie and banana cream pie. You have mashed potatoes. Then you have garlic mashed potatoes. Then you have sweet potato casserole. Then you have corn casserole. Then you have steak. Then you have chicken. And God did make chicken, so that if we didn't know what it tastes like, we could say it tastes like chicken, right? That aspect of food, the subtle hints of spices and, and flavorings, God in his creation is a God full of splendor and majesty. God in his creation around us is a God who makes amazing things. One of the things I enjoy about living in Horton is when it's a clear, cold night and you're outside for whatever reason. I, usually, you know, is there an animal outside or I need to throw something away? You know, 
a real reason to be outside. And you look up and you can see all the stars, just clear. And you can see like, wait, there's, there's a star next to that star. The immensity of God's creation, full of splendor and majesty. And his righteousness endures forever. In verse 7, the psalmist says, The works of his hands are faithful and just. And here, we see how God's character is displayed through his works. God's works are faithful and just. Just as he is faithful and just, so are his works faithful and just. What God does reflects his character. All his precepts, all his commands, all his word is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. So therefore, you can trust his word. And his precepts, his commands are established forever and ever. Right? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And they are to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. Again, we see here this idea, again and again, of living out what God has commanded. They are to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. And then his works, he has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Praising God focuses on his character displayed in his works and his words. What's God's character? What have, we, what have we seen here? Well, his works are great. The greatness of God. God is righteous. He is faithful and just. He's trustworthy. Faithfulness and uprightness. He redeems people. He is faithful to his promises. Holy and awesome is his name. God's works reflect his character. And this is important for us because sometimes God's works in our lives cause us to question God's character. God, are you truly good? Can I truly trust you? Do you really have my best interest in mind? But we know who God is. And we know that his works reflect his character. A life of praise is focused on what God has done. But what he has done is because of who he is. Our praise focuses on what God has done. But more than that, our praise focuses on who God is. He is a holy and awesome God. Lastly here. Praising God is birthed from his sovereign grace. And this is the, the middle of the sandwich, verses 4, 5, and 6. And the first verses build up to this, and the final verses come down from this idea. But in the middle of the righteous praising God together, in the middle of focusing on God's character and his works, comes the idea of the fact that God's praise for God comes, is birthed from, is the source is found in his sovereign grace, his, his unmerited favor to us. Now we need to read this understanding that this was written in the life of Israel, in the nation of Israel. And verses 4, 5, and 6 reflect the salvation account, you could say, in the Old Testament. And what is the great salvation account in the Old Testament? It's the Exodus. God calling his people out of Egypt into the promised land. Calling them out of Egypt into the promised land. He redeemed them. He delivered them. Verse 4. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. So who has caused his works to be remembered? God has. How has God caused his works to be remembered? Well, through his word. Sovereignly. 
guiding and directing, the superintending of Scripture. And we see here this idea. You could say the core of who God is. The Lord is gracious and merciful. What else has God done through his sovereign grace? He provides food for those who fear him. He provided food in the wilderness, right? He provided manna and quail and water from a rock. He provided food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. And that's important because did Israel fail the covenant that they had made with God? Yes. Again and again they failed. But God does not. He remembers his covenant forever. What promises? What covenant? Well, that covenant with Abraham, right? That he would make his, his descendants like the, the, the sand of the sea, stars in the sky, and, and from him the entire world would be blessed. His promise with David that there would be a descendant of David who sits on the throne forever. These promises God always remembers. He is the one who does these things. Verse 6, he has shown his people the power of his works. If you just do a flyby over the events of the Old Testament, we see God's greatness and power displayed. God literally stopped the sun and the moon from moving (laughs) so the Israelites could have victory. God brought down the walls of Jericho. God delivered the nation through so many things. He delivered by many, and he delivered by few. He has shown his people the power of his works. There is no excuse, but it's important to remember that it's God, the, God is the one doing these things. It's through his sovereign grace that he is accomplishing these things. The point is it's not about us, and it's not even necessarily about his works, but it's about God himself. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. He has given them the greatest inheritance, which is Jesus himself. Praising God is birthed from his sovereign grace. And as we reflect and think back on this as (coughs) New Testament believers, we think of God's great works. Our minds need to be directed to, to Christ. All these things in the Old Testament, yes, show us God's character, his power, his majesty, what he's done, his faithfulness, and all these things are leading up to Jesus. Jesus says that he is the yes and the amen to all the promises. He is the culmination of God's revealing himself. For what did Christ say? If you have seen me, if you know me, you know my Father who is in heaven. All of these things point to the one who is faithful, the one who is just, the one who is grace. John 1 says he is full of grace and truth. This is Jesus. Praising God results in the righteous living of his people. That's what we we learned, have been looking at the last few weeks in Matthew 7. Right? A life of praise is a life of holiness, of active following God's commands. Praising God focuses on his character, displaying his works and his words, of knowing God, knowing his word, knowing who he is, knowing what he's done, and, and, and knowing him. 
And all of this has its source in God's sovereign grace, his deliverance here of the nation of Israel, but a greater reality is our deliverance through Jesus Christ. How do we participate in this? It is through Christ, through our faith in him. Giving praise to God. But why is this hard for us? Why is it our tendency sometimes to think, God, are you really good? God, are you really just? Are you really all these things? How many times have you heard an account or read in your Bible or heard a sermon and it's like, okay, yeah, I've heard that before. I've heard that before. Yeah, okay, yeah, I know you did that, God. Okay, I know this is who you are, right? We get so used to thinking about God in a sense, used to hearing what he's done, who he is, that it doesn't move us anymore. That it doesn't push us to praise. But rather it's just that, well, that's just God and he's just part of my life and okay, I get on with the real problems. We, we need to guard our hearts against that. Against the idea as we think, well, that's just who God is, and yeah, I've heard that before. No, this is the God who is, who's done these things, who's given his own son to us, who is great and merciful, who is loving and gracious, who is holy and awesome. We need to be careful that we don't look at God and think that he's become mundane. A writer uh, who uh, I've appreciated some of his writings uh, is a guy who was a contemporary or came before a little bit before C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton. You might have heard of him. But he has this quote from one of his essays about this idea of getting bored with God, of looking at the things of God and looking at them as mundane. And he says this, and he uses children as an illustration. He says, because children have abounding vitality, abounding life, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. You know what he's saying here? Kids don't get bored with things. If they're on a swing set, keep going. Higher, higher, higher. You're spinning them around on the wood floor in their fuzzy PJs. That may or may not happen at our house. Spinning them around. Do it again, Dad. Do it again. Do it again. And what do I say? One more time. Or Dad's back hurts. (laughs) Do it again. Right? They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old. And our father is younger than we. 
what he's saying is that God does not get bored with making things again and again that are great, majestic, and holy, and awesome, for that is who he is. But how quick do we look at the amazing works of God and say, one more time, okay. Seen this one before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. May we have the attitude of the child who says, do it again, do it again. And as we look at the works of the Lord, may we praise him as we revel in his wondrous works and his wondrous words, the God that he is. May that push us, may that call us, may that scream at us to praise him. Praise the Lord, the psalmist says, for his praise should endure forever. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the encouragement from it. As we think of this time of year, as we have a special focus on Thanksgiving, may we give thanks for who you are and what you've done. Even through the difficulties of life, Lord, you are a good and just and loving God. Help us not become bored with who you are and what you've done, but may we say like the child, do it again. May we have joy in it. We pray in your son's name.